Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Again, good morning. Thank you. We have someone live. Someone's alive, Taylor. We are, we are working through uh, the book of Matthew or the gospel of Matthew. We're going through this series. We're now in chapter six. And as we continue to look at Matthew in greater detail, it's important to take a step back and kind of remind ourselves of the big, t- uh, the big picture and why Matthew is writing this gospel in the first place. So we kind of brought it down to one sentence, one main idea, and I think, I think it's fairly close. Could, we could work on it a little bit, but I think it comes down to this, and it's a call to follow the promised king into his kingdom. That's the call. Uh, this is what Matthew's trying to compel us towards, to follow the promised king into the kingdom. And we know who this promised king is. It's Jesus, the son of God. And Matthew kind of opens up his gospel in that way, pointing to uh, Jesus being the rightful king. He goes through his genealogy. He unpacks how how that is important. He goes to uh, Jesus at his baptism and how the heavens are open and God declares that he is the son of God and that he's well pleased with him. Uh, We see that as he is tempted by uh, the devil in the desert. And through that, he, um, he, he remains sinless. He defeats the temptations. Um, and when he comes out of that, then he starts preaching this gospel. He starts declaring this good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he, he's kind of like, um, what is it? The, uh, the, the, in the marching band, the, who's the person in front of the marching band? I was never in marching band. What? The drum major. Thank you. But you know what? I'm so glad my wife isn't here. She was in, she was in band and she would just totally kill me if I didn't know that. But the drum major in the front going, here it is. It's coming. Follow me. And that's what Jesus is doing in his ministry as he is preaching the gospel And as he's doing so, he is calling disciples. So if you remember, he's he's walking along uh, the side of the Jordan and inviting or calling disciples to him, Peter and John, well, was it Peter? Yeah, Peter and John and, um, and some others. And then as he is doing his healing ministry, he starts to draw a crowd uh, in a sense, when he's healing, um, he goes viral. Everybody hears about it throughout the whole region, and they start to follow him. And so think about it. He's going through uh, to these different synagogues, and he's going to these different regions, and he's, uh, this crowd's following him. And so he ends up going to the side of the mountain and sitting down, and he begins to teach them or to preach to them. And that gets us into chapter five. And that's where we're at right now. We are going through what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' sermon to his disciples and crowds. 
And it's kind of a long sermon. It starts in chapter five and it ends in chapter seven. And he's, he's preaching to them and he starts out in an interesting way. He starts with blessing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are those who mourn and who practice meekness and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who show mercy and blessed are those who are pure in heart and who are peacemakers. And so he goes through these blessings for uh, a type of heart, the kind of heart that his followers are to have. And by the way, I would say that this is the way in which we are to follow this promised king because this is the kind of heart he has. And so this is how we are to follow him. And so he, he displays this and he says, this is, uh, if you do these things or if you walk in this way, if you have this kind of heart, you will be blessed. But after he gives these blessings, he does something that I think is rather surprising. He makes a surprising statement and he says this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that, goes beyond that of the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now in that time, uh, if, if we were there, if we were listening to this, I think our jaws would drop, our ears would perk up and be like, wait, what? Because the scribes and Pharisees, they practice their righteousness in such a way where it's like, wow, these, these guys know what they're doing. They are godly. They're untouchable. They are holy. They followed the law to the T. You couldn't find any wrong with them. They, were, they walked the line. And so wait a minute, Jesus. You mean these, these people that we look up to are religious leaders that we look up to that we think are so godly and so great that if anybody was to enter the kingdom, we would think it would be these guys. Our righteousness must exceed that? What in the world do you mean? Well, the wonderful thing is that Jesus actually unpacks that for us. He gives us examples of what he means by that. Uh, it's good news. It's thank you, Jesus, for explaining it. But boy, what he's going to say is not fun to hear. In fact, it, in, in some ways, it might make us, you know, kind of grab our collie. It might make us a little bit warm, might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Because what he does is he gives these examples of what it means to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it is this. Sure, don't murder. Pharisees, scribes, they follow that law. Do not murder. But I say to you, if anybody is angry at his brother, he is liable to judgment. Wait, uh, anger? Come on, can't can we just go with murder? No, no, no. Jesus says, I say to you, anger. Adultery, right? And he says, uh-uh, it's not just adultery. It's the heart, if you have a heart, a lustful heart, you're liable to judgment. And he continues on with, with these standards 
that are within the law of God. And he's saying, uh-uh, it's not just about that. It is, it is exceedingly greater. And what I mean by greater is that it's not just about the actions or us abstaining from things. It actually gets down to the heart. That's what he's getting to here. He's saying it's not just these outward actions or, or these ways that we abstain from these sins that we see in the world, but it's about our heart. And he continues on through this. And so last week, and this is really important to think through as well. Last week, Rob preached, remember he had uh, the horn? If you were here, he, he brought out a trumpet and he started trumpeting. And so the challenge was this. He said, hey, um, be aware. This is what Jesus says. And this is starting in chapter six. He says, be, um, beware of how you practice your righteousness, right? Uh, the NIV version, which we, we learned this uh, morning in Sunday school class, we were looking at the NIV version, says, be, um, be careful in how you um, with your acts of righteousness or acting out your righteousness. So these acts of righteousness, beware of how you do that, how you practice it. And he says, don't be like the Pharisees who go out and uh, when they give, whether it's give money or give resources um, or give sacrifices, don't go around like with the trumpet do, 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 you know, like having a trumpeter in front of you as you're, as you're bringing the bags of money and trumpeting, look at how great this guy is. Look at how great this person is. He's, he's holy. Man, is he righteous. Look at what he is giving. So Jesus is saying, don't be like that, displaying and, and um, um, portraying it in a way where everyone can see you as righteous when it comes to giving. Instead, do it in secret. Do it without people knowing. And so that's when it comes to giving, right? So it's, it's more about the heart behind giving than the action. Yes, we are to give, but don't do it in a way where we are making much of ourselves. So that was last week. This week, uh, we're going through Matthew chapter 6, verses 4 through 15, and Jesus again is addressing our hearts, and it's specifically when it comes to prayer. So last week it was about giving. That is one way we can practice our righteousness, is by giving, giving of ourselves, giving of time, giving of finances, of, of resources. Uh, in that way, now we're going to get to practicing our righteousness in prayer. And so here's the big question that I want us to ask, and then hopefully we're going to answer in this message. And that is what kind of heart, what kind of heart are we supposed to have as we approach God in prayer? That's the question. How or what kind of heart are we supposed to have as we approach God in prayer? And so with that, let's um, stand together um, in honor of the word. I'm going to read it um, out loud. You can follow along with me. But let's, let's read this passage and then I'll pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this this word that you've given us this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak through it, that you would bring conviction, that you would challenge us. And and out of that, Lord, you would shape our hearts to look more like Jesus. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so... I've broken this down into three different sections, so we can work through this uh, one at a time. Here's the first section, verses five through eight, and that is, this is a warning about how you practice prayer. A warning about how you practice prayer. So we we do have to kind of go back to the beginning of the chapter to understand what Jesus means in these verses. So uh, verse one Verse one talks about this in chapter six. At the very beginning, it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others, other people in order to be seen by them. And so this is the main idea that Jesus is addressing in this chapter. It's about how we practice righteousness. How do we practice it? And so in verse two, he gives us the example of money and time and resources And the warning is against practicing righteousness with the intent to draw attention to ourselves, practicing righteousness in a way that builds up maybe our status or in some way where we are making much of ourselves. And I think that's kind of a tendency with human beings. We enjoy when others make much of us, right? Oh, you're... You're so good at that. Oh, stop it. No, 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 really, you are all, okay, go on, go on, you know. But, but there's something within us where we want to, we want others to think of us in a certain way. We want them to make much of us. And I think that's the temptation here. This is what is the intentions of our hearts. And and so it can be tempting to practice our righteousness in a way where we say, I'm doing okay, aren't I? I'm doing pretty good. 
doing all right. What do you guys think as we're, you know, whether it's giving or whether it's praying? And that's, that's what's going on here. Um, and Jesus um, sticks to this issue of practicing righteousness when it comes to prayer. Okay, so, so this is a challenge for us. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? Everybody praising them. Oh man, aren't they great? That's the reward. Now, notice that this is not necessarily an issue of public prayer. Okay, we, we know that Jesus and, and the disciples, they, they pray publicly. Okay, we're going to actually see a prayer that Jesus prays publicly to, uh, for the, the people that he is preaching to. So the issue isn't necessarily public prayer, but it's about the heart or the intent behind praying in public. So they practice public prayer in order to be seen by others in hopes of, of being rewarded for it. And again, it's the reward is praise, lifting them up instead of lifting up the Lord. So instead, Jesus calls them to practice righteousness by praying in secret. And so this is verse six. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So let me ask you this. When it comes to praying and praying with this call to pray in secret to your father, does that sound inviting to you? Think about that. Your father, go to your father, go just with him and pray. You see, I think that there's some, them th some things here that Jesus is inviting us to that is good for us. Because I think the Lord values relationship with us. So if you think about relationships, right? The, the most intimate and the intimate relationships that you can have. Um, you can think of it just with like a marriage relationship. And, and in, a re, in a marriage relationship, there's ways that you have to work at it. We say that marriage takes work and it's true. And how do we do that? Well, you definitely have to spend time with one another. And sometimes it requires you guys to spend time alone, right? Where there is no distraction, where the focus is on one another. And I would suggest to you this, that when Jesus is calling his disciples to go away by themselves and to pray, this is what he is calling us to or hoping for as well that you would be able to find time to get away with the Lord, to be able to connect with him in a unique way where there is no distraction. And this is what he's calling us to. Verse seven continues and says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And now Jesus is pointing out another way people practice prayer 
And that is using prayer to manipulate or to provoke some type of action. And this is, was seen in that time with the Gentiles and their, pay, their way of uh, worshiping uh, false gods. And you can kind of think of it like this. Um, you guys, either the movies or the books, uh, Harry Potter? Um, anyone? Harry Potter. The movies, you read the books. Um, you know, and, and it's, they're at a school with magic and they have magic wands and, they're, and they have to um, speak these words um, in, in the right way with the right inflection. They have to do the right motions and they practice over and over again, repeating themselves and repeating themselves in order to get the right way of saying it for something to happen. So it's about their words. It's about how they say it that, um, that instigates or, or starts this, this event or this action that they, they desire. And in the same way, uh, in pagan worship, it, it was very similar. It's, can I say things in the right way or repeat them in the right way to provoke uh, the ears of this God? Um, maybe an illustration, <laughs> sadly, is like this. At my house, I can get so distracted, I could get so focused on something that my children would go, Dad, Dad, Dad. Dad, and I'm I can't I'm, I'm not hearing it. I am so focused I don't hear a thing. And then Aiden would do this to me a lot because he would be like, "Dad, Dad, nothing, right?" And then finally he would go, "Michael," <laughs> and I'd, yeah, like just just by changing it and 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 getting the right phrase or the right word, all of a sudden, boom, grabs my attention. Okay, God is not like that. Okay, He is not like, you know. Um, a, a father who is so engrossed in what he, that he can't hear. God hears. God hears and God knows. And so this is what it, he's, he's trying to say is that, and, and basically it comes down to this. Um, God is not a God who can be manipulated or coerced into bending to our will. That's what it's about. If I can just say it in the right way, I can get God to act. Or if I say it long enough, I can, I can manipulate him or tire him out enough that he will act how I want him to act. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting at here. So in summary, it's do not pray like the hypocrites who try to make much of themselves by praying in public. Don't be like that. And also, don't try to manipulate or coerce God into doing what you want him to do. And so Jesus continues on and said, instead of doing that, this is how you are to pray. And this is wonderful because um, this is not, this is what you should pray, but this is how you should pray. This is an example an example of how we ought to pray, okay? So this, is, this I think, is kind of funny. Uh, um, somebody mentioned this at the other service. I was in the Sunday school class uh, up at Sawyer, and somebody pointed this out, and he goes, you know, isn't it funny 
that Jesus here is talking about praying in secret. And then he gives us an example. And the example that he gives, we like to pray in public. And we like to recite it, right? Like, and, and, we, and we pray, you know, and we don't practice it here, but almost like every Sunday or every time we, we pray this prayer together. And so it's, it's funny, we can easily um, turn this prayer into, you know, if I just say these magical words, I can get this result. So we need to even be careful with this example. So remember, this is an example of how to pray. And so what I want to do is kind of break this passage down. We're going to go through it verse by verse, but hopefully we can get, pull out some principles of how we are to pray when we come before our Father. So, and, and this is the, um, the next section. Our next section is an example of how to pray. This is verses 9 through 13. So let's look at verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And so I want, you, uh, want us to notice how Jesus addresses God. It's his father in heaven. And this gives us a picture that God values relationship. It's a kind of relationship that reflects a father to a child. And so we know, you know, uh, our fathers on earth, our earthly fathers, we are not perfect. And, and everybody knows that. Our, our children know that we are not perfect, which tells me this, that they, they understand what an ideal father is could look like. If they understand that we don't measure up, then they know what the measure is. And here's the wonderful thing. That's the character and the attributes of God. That's the kind of character and attributes that our Father in heaven has. So if you just sit down and you go, okay, what's the ideal Father? And you can describe that and use words that I... I think you can get really close to how, who God really is and his character and his attributes. And so it starts out with that, addressing him that he is our father, our father in heaven. And then the next phrase, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy or set apart, that God is unlike us. He is unlike his creation. Okay, so there's the creator, and then there's everything else. And so he's set apart. He's holy. And so in this, we're acknowledging that. Holy is your name. You are set apart. It's, it's reflecting upon how different he is from us. And that's a good and wonderful thing. Hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so verse 10 is an expression of our desire to see God's will be done rather than our will be done. And there are many times when our will and God's will do not align. And so this is kind of an acknowledgement of that. This is going, you know, Lord, this is what I want this is what I desire. This is what I would like to see happen. But your will be done. 
And it's interesting that it's tied with his kingdom as well. Your kingdom come. That our desires for your kingdom to come and your will be done. Which is a difference or a distinction between this earthly kingdom. So you can describe it in, in the New Testament. It kind of breaks this down that there's two kingdoms. There's the earthly kingdom and there's this worldly kingdom. And we can see around us and we can, we can think about what this earthly kingdom looks like and, and perhaps who is in charge of this earthly kingdom. And so we can think of, of governments and presidents and kings and dictators and rulers and governors, overseers. But I want us to understand also that there's a spiritual aspect to this world as well. That there is a, there is the prince of the power of the air that Ephesians describes to us that is actually ruling this world. And so we can ask ourselves, we see this kingdom before us and we see their values. We see its values. We see the paths that it's going down and it, and it can scare us. It can make us uneasy. And so here's the challenge. And, and why I bring this up is because we just finished with midterms, didn't we? With the midterm elections where we are electing governors and, and legislators and all these leaders over us. And, and we want uh, to elect the right ones that will lead us in the right direction. And I would suggest to you, we must be careful as followers of Jesus where we put our hope. And so, for example, personal example of being discouraged after these elections, of the things that I wanted or what I desired uh, and, and how it would come about. If, I can, if these people were in place or if these, these laws were, were shut down, then then things would get better and things would be better. And this is the, and, and then we would be on the right track. And so that was my heart. And so in this passage, this has reminded me, no, 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 don't be too focused on this kingdom. It's, it's good to desire those things. It's actually good to, to speak up for those things and to fight for those things. But do not put your hope there. Put your hope in God's kingdom because that is what is sure. Your kingdom come and your will be done. So let me give you an example of this. Best example, Jesus. Jesus is um, the day or the night before he is to be crucified. He goes to this garden and he is about to face the greatest temptation, the greatest uh, challenge, the greatest amount of suffering. And he prays before his God and he says, God, if at all possible, <laughs> if at all possible, I know what you want to do. I know what the outcome is supposed to be. Salvation for your people. But if at all possible, can we try another path? Can you take this cup from me? But then he says this, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. Here's the thing. The people around him, 
Even his disciples said, you know what we want to see? We want to see Israel reestablished. We want to see the Romans out. We want to see another King David and a reign like it was back then. This is what we want to see. We want to see an earthly kingdom like what we've had in the past. God says, no. I'm establishing a different kingdom, my kingdom, and it's a different way. And it's going to be through suffering. And Jesus says, okay, not my will, but your will be done. So this is our prayer. This is the prayer that we are to have as well. Lord, not about this kingdom, but your kingdom and your will. That's verse 10. That one's big. Verse 11 and 12, this is big too. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So when we pray, it's good to ask God both for our physical needs, which is our daily bread, right? To daily be praying for our physical needs but also our spiritual needs. Because here's the issue. Here's the thing. We are sinners that are in need of forgiveness. We are sinners that are in need of forgiveness every single day. This is a daily need. Um, So a great example of this, uh, Pastor Rob, uh, I have a, a... office. I share an office with Pastor Rob. And um, through that, I appreciate him more and more and, the, and his, his pursuit for righteousness or for godliness. And so sometimes we'll talk and he'll talk about how at the end of the night, what he likes to do. So, so I'm kind of propping him up. I'm, gu- I'm glad that he's not here. Um, I'm making much of him, but I'm actually making much of God through him and, and, and how he has formed Rob's heart, because I think this is a great example. But um, he goes, often what I like to do um, is at the end of the day is think back throughout my day and where have I fallen short? Where have I sinned against God? Where have I sinned against others? At the end of the day, that's what he does. He looks back. Where have I fallen short? And then he, he seeks forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Lord, where I need to forgive, help me to forgive. To do that every single night. Wow, that's, that's an amazing thing. And I think this is what Jesus is actually calling us to. This is a daily need. There's a poem. I don't have the poem here. I should read it to you. But it's a poem um, that's a picture of this. And it's a great uh, illustration of this child that, that um, is given his homework and he messes up his homework. And so he goes to the teacher and he says, teacher, I've, I've messed up this one. I've dirtied this one. Can you give me a new one? And the teacher with joy, with forgiveness, gives the child a new sheet. Says, do better, my son. The next day he comes Teacher, I messed this one up. And the teacher says, you're forgiven. It's okay. Here's a clean sheet. Do better, my child. 
Friends, that is the heart of our God. And that's kind of a reflection of what we're like. So think of the young child on a Sunday morning, right? All dressed up nice for a Sunday morning, and then they go out and they dirty their clothes, right? And then we clean them. And the next Sunday, it's the same thing. And the next Sunday, but this is the kind of picture that we're we're um, that Jesus is portraying for us. It's this daily need of not just physical needs, but our spiritual needs. So here's verse thirteen. This is the last one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we prayed about our daily needs and we've asked for forgiveness for our past sins. Now the prayer looks forward to the future. And it's a petition for protection and deliverance from ways we can fall into future sin. Right? So we've already looked back. Hey, Lord, this is, this is how I've messed up. This is how I've fallen short. Forgive me. This is how I've this, this is how I need to forgive others as well. Okay, so this is all in the past. Now it's looking towards the future. And it's, listen, where are the pitfalls? Where are the dangers? Lord, protect me from them. Lord, protect me from them. So, you know, and here's the interesting thing too. When it comes to sin, I think a lot of times uh, we don't realize that uh, the temptation often comes when other people are around us right? It's, it's this idea of, boy, this place would be a lot better if there weren't so many people. <laughs> if it was just me, like this place would be great, right? And because what happens is, 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 is we start sinning against each other. And, and when someone wrongs me or sins against me, what stirs up inside of me is sin, so it's easy for within these relationships, when someone wrongs me for seeds of bitterness or anger to reside in me, and then I explode <laughs> and say, and then from there, it's just a circular thing, right? I explode and sin against someone else, and that results in seeds of bitterness and anger. And so it's this big trap that we can fall in. And so this call then is one, Lord, protect me from these temptations. Lead me not into these temptations. Protect me from evil. Help me to see these pitfalls and to respond differently. And I think that leads us into this next section because that's how he ends the prayer. Lord, as we move forward, protect me, deliver me from evil. But now he's going to continue on and he's going to unpack this a little bit more for us. This understanding of how we can respond and why it's important for us to respond in a different way, not in, not in sin. And so this is um, verses 14 and 15. And this is our last section. It's a heart of forgiveness and prayer. That this is the call, that we are to have a heart of forgiveness, not just for ourselves. I think that's kind of easy. Lord, can you show us, show me some grace and mercy? Oh, thank you, Lord. But it's to have that same kind of heart for others. So here it is. Uh, verses 14 and 15. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so I think what he's getting at, again, is this heart of forgiveness and understanding what God has forgiven us. You see, the sin that we have or the rebellion and the sin that we've committed against God, the result of that or what we deserve is eternal damnation, eternal wrath. That's how big the offense is, right? So if you think about it, if, if someone steals an apple, in return, the, the punishment for that is, is um, connected to or equal to um, the offense, right? That is proper justice. So imagine that, that your offense towards God, the punishment for that is great. It is eternal damnation. That's huge. Yet God has forgiven us. So when an offense comes to us, when a brother or sister offends us, if God has forgiven us so much, can't we forgive this? That's, that's what Jesus is trying to unpack for us. In fact, he actually gives a parable. Jesus gives a parable that unpacks us even more that's very helpful. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. And it's Peter, he came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70, uh, but 77 times, okay? So, so it's even greater. And so it's this, uh, this picture, um, uh, so what happens is, is after this, he gives an example of what he means by this, Okay. So we're thinking, okay, so am I supposed to just give them one or two or three times? And what Jesus is basically saying here is no. No, no. Jesus, or God forgives you and he continues to forgive. You are too as well. And so here's the parable that he gives. And it's about a king and he has his servant come before him. And the servant owes this king an insurmountable amount of money. Like it is... It's this huge debt. It is like our, uh, um, our, uh, our debt, uh, you know, of trillions of dollars, right? Like there is no way this is going to get paid back. And he comes before the king. He says, king, just give me a little bit of time. <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? Just give me a little bit more time and, and I'll, I will pay you back. That's what he says to the king. King knows that he's not going to be able to pay him back. The debt is too huge too big. And so the king says, you know what? I'm forgiving you your debt. I'm forgiving your, your debt. Oh, king, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I won't let you down again. He walks away and he finds a servant that owes him five bucks, <laughs> right? So he was forgiven a trillion dollars. And here's the servant that owes him five bucks and he grabs him and he throws him up against the wall and he says, you need to pay me back and I want it now. 
And he says, I'll, I'll pay, just give me some time, give me some, no. You're going into prison, you're going into jail, and he throws, he, uh, he um, throws him into jail. And the king looks at this and goes, what in the world are you doing? I just forgave you this huge debt. And you turn around and you go after your fellow servant just for five measly bucks? And basically, he pronounces judgment on the servant because he definitely did not have a heart of forgiveness. He didn't understand or he didn't, the uh, well, one, what it took for the king to forgive him, right? So let's transfer that or let's, let's switch that over to our situation. And the question is this, do we realize what it took for God to forgive us? the price that had to be paid for God to forgive us. You see, Jesus had to come in in the form of a human. He had to be arrested. He had to suffer. He had to experience a humiliating death on a cross in order to, to save us and for or, order for our sins to be cleansed, for, for there to be forgiveness. That's what it took. It, for, it took this God-man to be humiliated by his creation so that we might be forgiven. If God would go to such an extent to forgive sinners like us, can we not forgive others as well? So let me close with this. And here's a challenge for us all. The big question is this. How does prayer fit into your life? How does prayer fit into your life? Is it just something that, that we do when we get together, whether it's on a Sunday morning or it's in prayer groups, which all those are good. It's good to pray together. But is there times when you get away just with you and the Lord? And if it's not there, how can that fit in your life? So let me suggest to you this, and this, this is where I find it very encouraging. Uh, this is not a very long prayer, is it? Um, starts in verse 9, 9 through 13. It's actually kind of a short prayer. It covers a lot though, doesn't it? And praise of God, asking for our needs, right? Aligning our hearts to God's will, asking for forgiveness and, and asking for protection. It's, it's actually a short prayer. So could it be possible that we can just take five or 10 minutes out, whether it's in the morning or it's in the evening, and just get away with the Lord for a short period of time and give him praise, share some requests, and ask him about the future and how he can protect us in the future. Is that some way that we can fit that within the rhythm of our day? And I think, I think, it's, I think it's good. I think it's possible that we can do that. So how does prayer fit in your life of setting a time and going in secret and talking with your heavenly father? It doesn't have to be long. And here's the other thing. This is an example. This is an example of how to pray. And so you can use this as a template. You can use this to help you 
kind of think through what to pray about. So let's do this. This is how I want us to close. I am going to pray. I'm going to pray using this prayer and what, what it could look like just as we get away and be with our Father in secret. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, your name is great. It is holy. Lord, you are, you are unlike us. You are so different. You are so much greater, Lord, and we thank you for that and that we can rely on you. And Father, I pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, this world, it's so easily to, to look at the negative things, to turn on news and, and be discouraged, to give in to fear. It's so easy for me, Lord, to, to want to change things. And Lord, I know that there's ways that we are called to, to speak truth and to live that out in a way where, where things can change, Lord. But we also, Lord, I pray that my heart would be about your kingdom and how that kingdom is to come into reality here. And Lord, it's not just about voting, but it's about how I live. So Lord, would your kingdom come and will your will be done in my life? And Lord, would you provide for me and would you provide for us what we need this day? Lord, you are the great provider. Lord, so thank you for that. You provided for us. You always provide. I know that. And I know that you'll provide for me this day as well. And Lord, would you forgive? Would you forgive me for sin that so easily entangles me when I sin against my wife, when I sin against my family? and I sin against others that I come in contact with you. Lord, would you forgive me and help me have a heart of forgiveness as well? Lord, protect me and protect us as we go about this day. Lord, where there is pitfalls, where there is temptation, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would extinguish it, that you would that you would draw us attention, our attention to you and that we would walk the path of righteousness, not stray. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we can pray and that you want to hear us. You want to hear from us. You want to engage with us. You want this kind of relationship with us where we can pray to you. And so Lord, help us to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.